Good morning. We've been talking and teaching on a subject matter. This is the fourth message and last message of that series. We're trying to help ensure the success of the next generations. The success of the next generations. And we covered three messages so far. One was to find out, do we really know God? because it's very important to know God. The next one was the need to know God more. And last week we talked on how do you know God more. So those were the three messages. This week what we want to concentrate on is another part of that scripture, our foundation scripture. Let's look at it in Judges chapter 2. Let's look at two verses, verse 7 and Verse 10. This was the foundation message that I taught about four Sundays ago. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. This is a key part of that verse. Who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. That is what we want to concentrate on today. We talked about knowing God. But this generation had two things that they were not doing. The generation that was after Joshua and the elders in that generation uh, that died out. Verse 10 tells us that all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, which we've talked about for three Sundays, nor yet which is this Sunday, the work which he had done for Israel. So they didn't know two things. They didn't know God, nor did they know the work. So we talked about how we can be assured to know God and pass that on and know him more. But how are we going to make sure that the next generations know the work that God has done? How how are we going to make sure that? Because if they don't know the work, then they are subject to start following other gods and other things, I say, that takes the place of God. Let's look at it from the Old Testament standpoint, how God intended for Joshua to do it. Let's look in Joshua. Let's uh, look at verse 20, chapter 24. Let's look there. And let's try the first part of that. We'll look at some of those verses. Not all of them, but some of them. Now he said that, Now it came about after many days, verse 1, when the Lord had given rest to Israel on every side, the enemies on every side, and Joshua's old advancing years. And Joshua called it all the Israel together, the elders, the heads, and the judges, and the officers, and said, I am old. I'm advancing years, and you have seen all that the Lord has done to all the nations because of you. For the Lord, your God, is he who has been fighting for you. Then he tells them about the portion of the land that he has given them. And let's go over to verse... Uh, now I'm reading from verse chapter 23. Um, and then it says, verse 10, one of your... One of your men 
puts to flight a thousand, but the Lord your God is he who fights for you just as he has promised. So take diligence to heed yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out the nations from before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap to you. Now, he was telling them, this leading up to chapter 24, now what he's telling them is you can't do both. You can't blend in with the nations. You can't start intermarrying. You can't start doing all these things and expect that the Lord is going to drive people out. So it, 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 it comes right into chapter 24, and he starts telling them that what God had done for them. See, it's okay to tell a person, hey, you shouldn't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. But what alternative are you going to give them? And so he's telling them, do you understand? Let's look at verse 2 of chapter 24. Joshua said to all the people, Thus the Lord says, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your father lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Then he talked about, to Isaac I gave Jacob, to Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Sarah and beyond it, and to possess it. For Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron and plagued Egypt. And what, uh, what I did in the midst of them afterwards, I brought you out. I brought your fathers out of Egypt. And I put you, um, you know, in the, by the sea. He took them through the sea. That Egypt uh, pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness before you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your own eyes saw what I did to Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If this seems disagreeable to you, to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods which your father served which were beyond the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living now. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is what Joshua was doing. He was reminding them they can't do both. Do you know that they were serving other gods even while he was talking? Do you realize he was, they, was, they had these little gods in their presence while he was talking to them? That's why he said, put away God. That's among you. We as a people have been, from, from the generations on back, we have been trying to do both. We've been trying to serve God and also blending in with the world around us. And God doesn't want that. Now, we don't have little statues uh, usually on our mantle and things of that nature. But we do 
blend in, and we do do some of the same things that the world depends upon, we depend upon, instead of depending totally on God. And there's a way to do that. And, of course, uh, we are in the world. We're not of it. Uh, we're supposed to partake of the world, things that God has provided, but not let them possess us. So there's a healthy uh, thing that God has given us all the way through Scripture. I'm not saying to deny Scripture. I'm just t- telling you that we cannot do both. You can't serve God and mammon too, what he says in the word of God in, in Matthew. You can't do that. And that's what we try to do. And that's my saying, and that's what it should be our saying, is for me and my household, we shall serve the God. We shall serve the Lord. How else did he call them to remembrance? He called them to remembrance. Psalm, let's look at Psalm 136. He called, calls to remembrance there. And in Psalm uh, 136, verse 15, you can make up your own Psalm 136, really. Uh, when I say make it up, meaning that uh, you know what it says here, but you can apply it to you. In other words, you know that everything he said, he stopped and then said, his mercy endures forever. And in New American Standard, it says, his loving kindness endures forever. You can do that. He says, in verse 15, he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness endures forever. To him who led people, his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote great kings, for his mercy endures forever, the King James says. And slew famous kings, his mercy endures forever. Sion, the king of the Amorites, his mercy endures forever. He just goes right on. Can we do that? Now, do you have things that God has done for you? Who remembered us in our lowest state, verse 23 says, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And has rescued us from our adversaries, for his mercy endures forever, it says in the King James Version. I'd like to say that. Who gives food to all flesh for his mercy endures forever. Gives thanks, give thanks to the God of heaven for his mercy endures forever. We can say, who saved us from our sin, his mercy endures forever. We can say, uh, who woke us up this morning, his mercy endures forever. Who gave us eyesight for his mercy endures forever. What can you say? You can say a lot of things, right? Who gave us legs to walk on. Does he have to wait? His mercy endures forever. Is that, a, is that for granted? Taken for granted? No. Hmm. no. He gives us the right amount of sun that we don't burn up or freeze. Doesn't he? Right? Earth is positioned and, and rotate a certain distance. and is, That's God. That's not, that's not man. That's God. His mercy endures forever. He's given us children. His mercy endures forever, doesn't We can quote a lot of things, but we have to keep remembering. God gave them psalm, and, and we, we just read psalms, but they did what the psalms? They sang them. When you sing something, you memorize it. You memorize it. That's why I was watching uh, TV once, uh, a program where they said that um, the kids in the inner city, what they were doing, they had these schools, these uh, uh, governor schools, these schools that were, uh, they were, they were trying to show people that kids will learn if you have teachers that will teach. And you had, you had uh, teachers who would teach the right way, 
And then what they were doing, they were having kids to put these, uh, the math and all these things uh, in, in rap songs. And, and um, these kids far surpassed the kids in regular school. And they, they had to wear ties. They had to wear the same thing. I mean, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Kids can remember things you put in songs. You put music to it. And they, they can remember things. And we can, too. We can, too. And so that's why God wants them to remember. He gave them these things to remember. They had to remember things. When we look in the New Testament, when they were quoting things, they were remembering things. You remember when Stephen was being stoned? Do you remember that? He was quoting the Old Testament. That's what he was doing, quoting the Old Testament. Jesus quoted scripture, didn't he? So these things are very important for us to remember. We have to get it in our minds that just because we were not there, we still say his mercy endures forever. Isn't it great that God loves us so much when he destroyed the world by uh, flood, everything that breathes, everything that walks on the face of this earth, died except eight people. His mercy endures forever, doesn't it? Every last one of us came from Noah and his children, right? His three sons and their, their wives, and didn't it? Every, every last one of us. He, his mercy endures forever. He could have destroyed everybody. But his, 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 he loves us so much. He really does. Let's go to the New Testament. Let's look there at um, a verse, one verse you already know. Uh, we're going to turn to John, the Gospel of John. While you're going there, let's quote one, uh, John 3.16. You know that. For God so loved the world that he did what? Okay, he gave, didn't he? He gave his only begotten son, and whosoever believed him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So he gave. He gave. He gave. What has he given you? That you can, you can say his mercy endures forever. What has he given you? Come on. Right? That's right. Everything that you have, he's given us. His mercy endures forever. For God so loved the world. Yeah. Isn't it great that God so loved the world that he put plants here? Beautiful plants. Isn't it great? Yeah. Everything that, that moves has a purpose, a godly purpose that he put here. That, to me, is love. He put this for, for us to enjoy. It's really nice. You know, uh, my daughter sent me a picture. They were at the zoo and sent me a picture of an animal. They, I guess, got close to the car and whatnot. And I said, oh, you know, isn't, isn't he a cutie, you know? Uh, you know, this is a, it, I came Saturday morning. Uh, earlier, I, got, I came out of my house around 5 uh, o'clock, and, and there was a deer in my yard. And he started running, and he stopped and looked at me. Uh, I guess he smelled the sausage. But, uh, <laughs> but they're so cute, aren't they? You know, these animals, he, he just put so many nice things in the world. How many of you ladies like flowers? You know, yeah. Beautiful flowers. All sorts of flowers he put there for, for us to enjoy. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good. For God so loved the world that he gave 
he gave. Now, let's concentrate on, in, in John, I ask you to turn to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, and verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. Okay, so he's sitting and he's teaching. Now the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in the caught in adultery. And having set her in the center, in minds and provinces, which is not in the Greek, says of the court. So here she is sitting in the center. Now picture sitting in the center of them. He, they just brought them. And you can imagine this now. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very act. And, oh, you can see it, can't you? Can't you see their faces? You know. Now, here they are, the scribes and the Pharisees, they know the law, and they are saying, this woman right here, Get in there. Get, get, get in there. You know, I mean, she called him Verde Acne. They had to pull her. They had to pull her, you know. They had to pull on off, you know, pull, pull him and kick him off and pull him off. They, they had to get there. They didn't have to get her there and throw her in it. She didn't want to go in the center of them, did she? Come on now. Did she want to go in the center of these men? Sit in the center of the But he put her in the center. Get in the center. Sit down. Sit down. Sit down. Now, you can imagine that. You can imagine. Would you want to be that person? No. No one wants to be that person. Now, the Pharisees are hypocrites. They know the law, but they don't practice the law. Even what they were doing there, they weren't practicing the law. Because if you look in, in the Levitic, Leviticus, you'll find out that what it says is that if anybody is caught in adultery, the man and the woman are supposed to be stoned. What happened to the man? She was caught in the very act. See, see, they're hypocrites. They, they want to, they just want to, want to. Well, we won't, we won't say too much about the Pharisees. Because after all, sometime now, before we are so critical of the Pharisees, can we be that way about people? Huh? Can we be so critical and hypocritical when we have sin also? Come on. Just asking. Now, verse 5, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Such a woman. Come on. They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Now, I don't know what he was writing. Is that not important? And when it says not important, it can't be that important for us because everything has to do with life and godliness. The word says in Scripture. So that means it doesn't have anything to do with my life and my godliness. Uh, but I can imagine that he's just waiting to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. He already knows they're trying to trap me. If I say this, 
then they're going to trap me this way. If I say that, they're going to trap me this way. What do you want me to do? Then he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, of course, that's the law too, isn't it? Because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So you couldn't accuse somebody of one witness. Had to be two, at least two. Okay. And so he's saying, okay, those who are accusing this lady, you throw the first stone because they were supposed to. But if you, you can't throw it now unless you're without sin. Whoever is without the first sin, without any sense, throw the first stone. So they couldn't throw it because they have sinned themselves. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, (laughs) Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. Oh, she's called him Lord. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Now, I wonder how appreciative was this woman? How appreciative would you be? if you have been treated that way. And here is Jesus Christ, the one who, the son of David, doing miracles, the great teacher, says, I don't condemn you either. What love, what love is he showing? If you don't like blood, the price that was paid for our sin. Was it great? We should be remembering this. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to remember. He doesn't want another generation to go by without remembering the great things he has done for us. Now, we should be telling them the things that happened throughout Scripture, how God has shown himself strong on behalf of the, of the saints of old and all those type of things uh, in, 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 in the, how, uh, I guess, Israel, who we're the spiritual Israel, so basically all the things he's been doing for his people. We should be doing that. But it's nothing like what's real now, we are still benefiting from the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His blood is still cleansing. So we need to cause our children, the next generations, to remember 
what are some of the things we can we can do? One of the things we can do, I'll just name a few that we can do. We can teach our children and the next generations to pray. Because everything starts with prayer. Asking God, God help me not to forget what you have done for me. God doesn't want us to forget because a lot of times that's what we do. And he, he has said that you'll get in this over in, in Canaan, you, you'll get over there in the promised land where everything has been given to you, you didn't plant in the vineyards, you didn't uh, build houses, and, and, and I just ran the people out, I chased them with the horn and everything, and, and here you going to forget me. I don't want you to forget me in prosperity. But see, sometimes we can forget the Lord because things are going okay. And when things don't go okay, now we want the crowd to the Lord. Yes, crowd to the Lord when things are going bad. But you crowd to the Lord when things are going good, seemingly, because nothing is ever as good as you think they are. <laughs> but things are never as bad as you think they are either. After prayer and during prayer, we need to make sure we're in Scripture, which is going to be the foundation of anything. Everything has to start here. Founded in the Word of God. It's forever settled in heaven. So therefore, when you are in this Word, you are remembering. You're remembering. And that's what I ask and encourage the teens and everybody else to do. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Don't go days without reading the Bible because you're remembering. You can't read this Bible without remembering. It's a remembrance of what he's done. You know, being in church is a remembrance also because we're together and you come to celebrate his goodness. Jesus, I will praise you, Father, in the midst of the congregation. So coming to church is a remembrance. We can easily forget him, can't we? Sunny, nice day. You know, the, the, you know, the, the park, the piece of all this is nice. The trees are turning and everything. You know, let's go up and have a picnic. You know, it's, just, it's easy to do that, to do the things that will keep you from coming together as a body, remembering what God has done. That's three ways. Another way that you can remember, to teach remembrance to the next generation, is by each one of us stepping out beyond our comfort zone. In achieving or helping to achieve the purposes of God. When you are comfortable, it doesn't take much faith, does it? It doesn't take much faith. Let's uh, look at a scripture in, let's go to Matthew um, chapter 15. Let's go there. And Let's look at just this occasion here where this 
person I believe was stepping out beyond their comfort zone. What God may ask you to do to step out from your comfort zone, I don't know. But as long as we are secure and safe, everything is hunky-dory. We don't have to trust God for anything because after all, we have our health to get up. We have a job to go to. We get wages. We can buy things. We can buy prettier things, bigger things, newer things. We can go to sleep and sleep at night, wake up and do the same thing continually till we die. You know, we might not need to step out on faith. God says that get out of that comfort zone. He wants to push us over the edge, <laughs> over the edge of comfortability. When you have to cry out. Listen to this one. This case right here, let's uh, look at verse 21. Let's start there. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew. And this, when he said withdrew, that means that he doesn't want to be around people because he needs to commune with his, his Lord. He, may, he wants to rest. Hey, I want to withdraw. So he says, he withdrew into a di- district of Tyre and Sodom, and a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out. Now, in, in Mark 7, and when you start there, Proverbs 24, what, what happens is that it said he went to a house, and, and then uh, they, tried to, he tried to go incognito. You know, he doesn't want nobody to see him. He doesn't want nobody to know who he is, but see, uh, they found out, and here this woman came, see? So we got this Canaanite woman, Sophonisian woman. Here she comes. Is she an Israelite? No, she's a Canaanite woman. From that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord. Oh, she knows something. Son of David. Oh, she knows something else. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. So the daughter is demonized. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. You know, sometimes we think, well, she probably had an eye personality, one of those extroverts, you know, she, she wasn't ashamed of anything. I don't know about that. Most of us wouldn't go to him in that situation, especially when we know that people don't want us around. She's stepping out. Let's see what else happened. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, that's your settlement. Right? Canaanite woman, go home. Send them. Simple. Wasn't sent to you. You're not Israelite. You're not God's people, so tough. Suck it up. Okay, so what does she do? Is she going to stay in her comfort zone? Well, I've been not causing the problems. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. Can you imagine? Can you just hear the sound? Lord, help me. So she's, she's, she's desperate. She's desperate. She's stepping out. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Now, most of us would have copped the attitude. 
<laughs> we had an attitude. I mean, uh, whoo, my goodness, this thing would have been so high our attitude. Now, who is a dog? Who are you calling a dog? We'd be wagging our head and our tongue, boy. We'd be pointing our fingers, you know. Who are you calling a dog? Don't you be calling me no dog. You supposed to be this other guy. You supposed to, I just called you, Lord, I'm bowing out of you. You calling me a dog? Come on. How we were acting. And I know, oh, I forgot. I'm the cornerstone. Y'all are holy. And so, therefore, <laughs> you wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have done that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but she said, yes, Lord. Come on. Yes, Lord. She's agreeing. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes. Okay. I'm a dog. Okay. No problem. No problem. We can work with that, Lord. I'm a dog. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Ooh, come on. (laughs) <laughs> Did she keep her cool? <laughs> Woo! And Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. And in, 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 uh, in the Mark account, he said, because of your answer, she has been healed. You hear what I'm saying? That means that because she answered that way, she had already been healed. He did it when she answered. My goodness gracious. Now, we don't want to be demonized, and we can't be because we're Christians. So we don't want to go to places and test it, though, you know, uh, where a lot of demons are. <laughs> and so we don't want to do that to step out on faith so we can cry out, help, Lord. But do we, <laughs> do we already have things in our lives that we can we can do, is God calling us to do things that really we can step out and step out on faith and say, God, I don't want to do this thing, but, you know, oh, God, I'm going to step out here. And if you know if you step out, you're stepping out on water. You're stepping out on thin ice. You don't know what's going to happen, but you're going anyway. You're going to do it anyway. Whether it be the foreign field, whether it be, uh, I don't know what it might be for you. I don't know. But I know that through this Bible, he called men and women to great things. And they, they didn't, they didn't uh, wait to stay to be comfortable in their situation. You see? I said, why don't you step out? Why don't you step out of the boat and see what God has for you? Because that's when it's going to take faith. Don't be comfortable. Step out in the I don't know what's going to happen. Lord, if you don't do it, I'm going to sink. There are some areas in your life you can do that. I know it. he's calling us to it because he's calling me to it. I know he's calling us to it. That's what God, God is saying. And we can also remember, and we always say it by the prayer, by uh, reading and studying the word. We always say it also by uh, being in church, in the church body. We also said that... Um, uh, stepping out in faith. And the last way I want to just mention is receiving communion. Isn't that a remembrance? Let's look at it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, he says in verse 23, in, in 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, for, for I have received from the Lord that which was delivered to me, that Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and he was given thanks and broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's what communion is, receiving communion. Remembrance of him. So we take uh, the wafers and grape juice um, simulating the body and the blood of Jesus. We are doing it in remembrance of him. He said in the same way he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It's a remembrance. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we need to be receiving communion. And we, we do it usually every other month. And so, uh, which is next month was our next time to do it, but I wanted to do it today uh, as a remembrance. So with those who want to help with communion, is going to help come forward, please. Want to see communion. It's a time also. I want to read you a couple of scriptures. Uh, there is a, a scripture that's in Matthew, and I'm so grateful to the people who, uh, you know, gave words and things like that. Um, you remember when it said, uh, when, when, when we're talking about the children's bread in Matthew uh, chapter 15, and it said, um, he answered, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Well, what was the children's bread he was talking about? Huh? What was she asking for? She was asking for her daughter to be healed. That's what he was asking. And he says that it's not good to take the children's bread. And I said, whoa. And then after she, he said that uh, your faith is great, then he says her daughter was healed. So do you realize that part of our bread, per se, is healing? When we receive communion, then ask God for that. Ask God for your healing. Another verse that uh, said that similar was in Matthew chapter 8, uh, which uh, I think Becca read it from, the, from uh, Isaiah, and it was here in, in, in the New Testament, he says, when Jesus came to Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in the bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When the evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. So not only does he heal the disease, but he takes away the weakness. And that's in terms of weaknesses caused by the disease. When we're receiving communion, we want to ask God for healing. Oh, would you all take the thing and take a stand?